So to begin our message, uh, I want to ask you, when do you think we and when do you think me? When do you think we and when do you think me? So when do you make decisions that are based on what's best for a group of people? So it could be family, it could be relationships, it could be in a team context, it could be in a work context. Uh, When do you think we and have to make decisions on behalf of others? And when do you make decisions based on what's best for you? Best decision for me is this, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. This is a really, really important question for us to wrestle with because our culture is very much wired towards me. We live in a very me-centric, individualised culture, and so our pressure is always going to be towards what's in it for me, and generally that's at the expense of what's in it for we. And it's really important for us to recognise that that then bleeds into our experience and our decisions that we make as a church and what it looks like for us to engage in the things that we're doing here at Richmond. And so I want to ask you to think specifically about that. When you think about Richmond, when do you think we and when do you think me? And particularly might think about participating in things, choosing to go along to things, uh, choosing to invest in things. But even just as you kind of debrief things in your own mind or think about how something was, how much do you think we and how much do you think me? Today we're continuing this kickoff series that we're doing over these few weeks to talk about what's most important for us. And last week we started by reminding ourselves that we put Jesus first. That at the end of the day, that's why we're here, is to help people be apprenticed to Jesus. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we would encourage you to have a listen to the podcast, because there's lots of things that we talked about last week that really are very, very central to what we're going to be focusing on through this year. Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to focus on being together in that. And so we're going to unpack that some more. And then next week, we're going to talk about prioritizing what it looks like to not just do what we do while we're together, but also what it looks like for us to do beyond our time here. And one of the phrases that I used last week was to talk about church gravity. And the reality that there is this huge church gravity that pulls us towards particularly doing programs whatever reason, in churches in the West, we love programs. And so there's this gravitational pull towards programs all the time. And we also talked about how when we think about discipleship, there's a gravitational pull for us in the West to think about discipleship through the lens of learning and intellectual discipleship rather than putting things into practice. But another huge gravitational pull that's present for us, which is actually a cultural gravitational pull, is, as I said earlier, individualism. This question about what's in it for me. And it bleeds into so many of the ways that we look at what's happening around us and the choices that we make. So even in terms of the churches that we choose to belong to, a lot of it comes back to, what's my preference? So I don't really like those songs that they sing there, or I don't like that style of music, or I don't like that style or the vibe that happens there, or I don't like the topics that are being talked about, or I don't like the examples that are being used. They weren't super relevant to me. It's really easy, and our default is always, how did I feel about that today in terms of our engagement with that? And even as we talked about discipleship last week, I'm very conscious that the gravitational pull took took us very much towards me, my relationship with Jesus, my following Jesus, my gifts, my connection with Jesus. We can be very, very me-centric. It's this huge pull towards that all of the time. And we have to remind ourselves that following Jesus was never supposed to be an individual thing. 
It was always supposed to be about us, something that we're doing together in connection with Jesus, as we talked about last week, but also in connection with each other. And this even bleeds into the way that we read Scripture. So often we read the word you in Scripture, because it's in there a lot, and particularly in Jesus' teaching, he says you a lot. I don't know about you, but a lot of the time for me, I interpret that through the lens of me, Jesus speaking to me directly and me individually. But quite a bit of what Jesus says when he says you is you collectively. So even last week, we focused a lot on Jesus saying, I'm the vine and you are the branches. It's very easy for us to think we individually are branches and Jesus is the vine. But all of what Jesus was saying in that passage, which we're continuing in today, is you collectively are the branches together, not individually. But there is a paradox in play here because the reality is that our together experience only happens because of the individual choices that we make. So if I don't choose to lean in, if I don't choose to participate, if I don't choose to engage, then there is no we. So there is this sense where it's important for us to make individual decisions, but through the lens of togetherness and what it means for us to be in this together. This was amplified for me last year when uh, in some of the conversations that we were having about where we're at as a church and where we want to head, uh, someone made this very, very helpful comment and a question about whether we are a group of individuals who just happen to show up in the same place or whether we are actually a family. We use the language of family a lot here at Richmond, but it's a valid question to say, are we just a group of households, single people, couples and families who just happen to be in the same space on a regular basis Or are we actually a family? Again, there's gravitational pull to us just being individuals who happen to be here rather than us being in and out of each other's lives. So today we want to dig into a bit more of what Jesus' dream is for us. And so if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 15 and we're going to continue from verse 12, which is where we left off last week. And uh, if you've got your Bible app with you, then you can open up to our teaching notes. So more down the bottom right corner and then events and you can see the teaching outline there. And so you can jot things down if that's helpful for you. Uh, But John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. And as I read this, I want to encourage you to focus on that word you and even how you interpret the word you as we read this passage. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way as I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. So in some ways this is a really encouraging passage, but in other ways it's an outrageously challenging passage because Jesus' instruction to us is to love each other the way that he loves us. So I want you to stop and think about, when you think about how Jesus loves you and how Jesus loves us, what words come to mind for you? Because for me, I think about Jesus loving us unconditionally, Jesus loving us compassionately, Jesus loving us patiently, Jesus loving us sacrificially, Jesus loving us by forgiving us. 
Jesus loving us by accepting us 100% as we are and yet being able to see the best version that's in us and challenging us to become the best of who we are. You may think of some other things about how Jesus loves us. Jesus' challenge is to say that our role is to love each other in exactly the same way. And why does Jesus love us like that? Because he has to, out of a sense of obligation, because he feels sorry for us. Oh, you poor little humans. I'm going to love you. Because we initiate things, because we nag him long enough, because we prove ourselves worthy. No. Jesus says that he loves us because he chose us. And so just think about that for a moment as well. Jesus chose you. Jesus chose each one of us. Jesus chose us together. And so that is a key element of what love looks like. It's more than just an emotion that comes and goes based on our circumstances, which is what we see portrayed so much in movies and hear about in songs and read about in books. Love at the end of the day is about choice. It's about a resolute decision to say, I'm going to love. And Jesus says that that decision and that choice is to try and love the way that he does. And so Jesus is crystal clear that love is at the core of everything about what it means to be an apprentice, a disciple, or an apprentice. I just coined a new phrase, a apprentice. Uh, <laughs> disciple or an apprentice. And uh, some verses that we've looked at previously, when I started here in September, I talked about some of the things that I felt like were most important to me and most important for us as a church to focus on. And I read these verses saying, I believe this is the core of Jesus's teaching. Matthew 22 verses 37 to 40, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus makes it crystal clear that in order for us to live the way that we were created to live, and in order to follow everything that's required of us, we just have to focus on two things. Love God and love each other. It's that simple. Or it's that complicated. Because when we think about what it means to love God with every part of who we are and to love other people, that gets pretty complex pretty quickly. But that's the core of what Jesus says fulfills everything that we need to do as followers of him. But Jesus also says a couple of chapters earlier in John that love is what allows us to have other people see and recognize us as his disciples, as his followers, as his apprentices. Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 to 35, Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. That's the key marker that people should be able to see that distinguishes us as people who are following Jesus is the way in which we love. These are Jesus' commands to us. This is what it means for us to obey Jesus. And we're not massive fans of words like command, commandment, or obedience. Generally don't like those things. Some resistance that kicks into us as good Australians. That's why it's really, really important for us to recognize what Jesus has said earlier, that we are not slaves who are being dictated to by some evil, hard taskmaster. Jesus says that we are his friends chosen by him, loved by him. 
And so that changes what obedience and following Jesus' commands looks like. I choose to be obedient to what Ali asks me to do. She generally doesn't like command me to do anything. But when she asks me to do something, I generally am obedient towards that. And I don't do that because I'm forced to or because I'm scared that Ali's going to come and chase me down and smack me across the back of the head if I don't do what she asks me to do, but because I want to, because I want to make her happy, because I love her, and so I want to show my love for her in being obedient to what she has asked me to do. That's what Jesus says for us as well, is that the choice to love the way that he loves is not something that we do because we're worried Jesus is going to come and chase us down and smack us across the back of the head if we don't, but out of a sense of love, because we want to, because we want to please Jesus because we know how much he loves us. Now, can we do that perfectly? Can we love perfectly 100% of the time the way that Jesus loves us? Of course we can't. But that is the goal. That is our aspiration. That's what our aim is. The good news is that we know that when we don't measure up, when we don't get it right, when we do manage to have other things that get in the way of us being able to love the way that Jesus wants us to, we also know that he understands, that he gets the barriers that are in our lives. He gets the stuff that gets in the way of us being able to love, and he forgives us. And he says, get up and try again. So, Returning back to church gravity and returning back to what it is that needs to be the most important thing for us to focus on this year, we can't live out what Jesus is calling us to do if we just function as a group of individuals. That's not what Jesus' best is for us. We can't live out the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus on our own. We need other people to be able to love. Love requires other people might seem like a fairly obvious statement, but it's important for us to know. So we can only live out what it is that Jesus has got for us to do this year if we're spending time with each other, if we're in and out of each other's lives, if we're journeying together. I've been reading a book over the last little while, which is called uh, The Starfish and the Spirit. Some of you may have heard of a book called The Starfish and the Spider that's been around for a little while, but this uh, great book has been written following on from that called The Starfish and the Spirit. And uh, it's a book that talks a lot about discipleship and some of the changes that we need to be thinking about as we think about what church looks like that does have discipleship front and centre in the middle of it. And uh, I was reading that this week, and one of the things that they were talking about is that there's lots of sociological research that's been done on the impacts and dynamics of our relational connections. And one of the areas that's been studied that we're not going to dig into at length is something called proxemics. So this is our proximity to one another, which studies how comfortable we are with people being close to us in different spaces. Now, if it feels like I'm going way over here, I promise I'm going to come back. So just bear with me. But when you know someone really, really well, you are very comfortable sitting next to them, sitting very close to them, and then putting their arm around you or them giving you a hug. But when you're in a space with a bunch of other people who you don't know very well, it's kind of uncomfortable when you do have that sense of like being in and out of each other's spaces. Even this distance that I'm standing now in talking to you in a public space is partly based on proxemics. Because if I came and stood right here, right in front of you guys that are down there, you'd be like, yeah, it's too close, just back up there, buddy. That's what proxemics is all about. And it's fascinating to recognise that in different cultures, what those proxemics look like are different. So 
Some sociologists have then taken all of this study that's been done around that to think about the process of belonging and what it looks like to have relational connections that allows us to belong. And then some other people have taken that research and taken it a step further to talk about how it applies in our faith journey. And so it's really, really helpful for us to be aware that there are these five different levels of social connections that we need in our lives in order to be able to grow and thrive. So the first circle that you can see there is the divine connection. And so this sense of needing to be connected to God. And we share the most intimate parts of who we are, the very centre and core of who we are in our relationship with God. The second circle is then our transparent circle. So this is a group of two to four people that we choose to share the vast majority of what's going on. It's not the same intimate relationship that we have with God, but there is a sense of us being willing to open ourselves up and be completely transparent. Then we have the personal circle, which is four to 12 people, where we reveal some of what's going on in our lives and we journey together, but we don't necessarily share as much as we do with that transparent circle. The next circle out is then our social circle, which is kind of groups of 20 to 70 people, where we share snapshots that build affinity. And so that's why we talk about the weather, because that's affinity. Or that's why we talk about sport. Or that's why we talk about current events and things that are happening around us, because there's this sense of building affinity. But it's not us sharing something that's super close to us, nor is it sharing those intimate parts of who we are. And then the final circle is the public circle, which is kind of groups of 100 people or more where we engage with outside resources. And so this is the idea that you go along to a concert, for example, and you ex uh, access some external resources. You're in a shared experience together, but there's no real expectation about you sharing with one another. What's really fascinating is that when we look at that and then look at the life of Jesus, we see him modelling all of this out. And so the next slide, you can see that Jesus has this intimate, close relationship with the Father, and we know that Jesus shared everything that he was with the Father and regularly took time away to just be on his own. Then Jesus had his transparent circle, so three people, Peter, James, and John, that he spent significant amounts of time with and was even closer with. And so they had some really special experiences that nobody else did. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the struggles that he was going through just before his death, he shared that with those three, but not with anybody else. Then Jesus' personal circle was the 12, so the 12 disciples, where they journeyed together a lot. They spent a lot of time together. They had a lot of shared experiences together, but again, not necessarily to the same extent as Peter, James, and John. Then we know that Jesus had the social circle, the 72. So he had this wider group of people who were following him and spending time with him, but they didn't have the same level of proximity that the 12 did. And then we know that Jesus also spent time with, in the public circle with the crowd, so groups of hundreds or even thousands of people that he would spend time with. And so it's fascinating to see that even Jesus needed this, and I was certainly challenged about that this week, to think, well, if Jesus needed these circles... Pretty sure I'm not better than Jesus, so I probably need to think about this stuff. But part of what uh, they push into in the book is to recognise that we need those circles to overlap in one way or another, or we end up struggling. And I, as I've been kind of thinking that through this week, I think this is a part of why we're struggling in lots and lots of ways across our culture, is because when we break these circles apart, where there's little or no connection between them, it's no wonder that our lives feel a bit more messy and a bit more scattered. 
when we kind of have one circle over here and then another group of people that we're trying to journey with over here and then another group over here, it gets very complicated to try and maintain all of those circles and to feel that sense of belonging that we really, really desperately need. And so I think this is helpful for us and a challenge for us as we think about what togetherness means as we move into this year. Because if together for us is only ever in that social circle or in that public circle, groups of 20 to 70 or groups of 100 and above, it's no wonder that we don't necessarily feel like we belong. And it also shouldn't be a surprise to us that we feel like, I don't feel super comfortable sharing like the deepest parts of who I am in a setting like this, for example. So I want to give you an opportunity to think about what's in your circle currently. As we begin this year, who would you say is in your transparent circle? So who are the two to four people that you have a sense of being able to open up with and be vulnerable with and honest with? And who are your four to 12? Would you just jot some names down if you are taking notes? Who are the people that are in your two to four and your four to 12? And if you don't have those people right now, I want to encourage you, or even dare you, to write some names down and to say, as I move into this year, who might be people who could be my two to four and or my four to 12? I want to encourage you to just jot a few names down and then we'll continue on in a moment. The challenge for us is that there is only so much that we can do when we're gathered in this space together on a Sunday. There are lots and lots of people, and I don't know whether you have had this experience, I have it most weeks, where I get in my car and I'm on the way home, I'm like, oh, I didn't get a chance to talk to that person today, didn't get a chance to have a conversation with them, didn't get to check in with someone that I was really hoping to be able to check into, or even this sense of leaving sometimes and feeling like I have a lot of surface conversations just wish I could have like a deeper conversation, a yearning for something a bit more and being able to go a little bit deeper. It's really good for us to recognise that our expectations about what happens when we're in this space need to be measured because of being realistic about what that looks like. And so when we take that reality of what we're yearning for and craving and the circles that we need, coupled with what we talked about last week, about the importance of us unpacking what it is that we're reading and what it is that we're thinking about and how we apply those things and put them into practice in our apprenticeship with Jesus is why we make such a big deal about gospel groups. And I'm really, really grateful that gospel groups have been a significant part of who we are as a church family over the last little while. But we know that over the last couple of years, it's kind of got a bit disjointed and a bit complex. And so as we begin this year, we really want to get back to reprioritizing this and saying that this is a super important thing for us. 
Because gospel groups really are the core of everything that we are. And one of the ways that I've started talking about church more and more regularly is the idea of saying, are we a church that has a small groups ministry, which is how a lot of churches function, that they have a Sunday expression that then has a small groups ministry of one way or another, or are we a network of small churches that then get together on a Sunday? It's a subtle difference, but it's a really important difference. What's primary and what's secondary? And so is your expectation that we are a Sunday expression church that then has a small group ministry that if you're interested, you can be a part of it? Or do we see ourselves as a network of small churches that then come together to be able to do some things collectively that we can't do on our own? In a lot of ways, it's a very flipped version from how most of us have been conditioned to think about what church is all about. We know that groups are really, really important to us because we know that is the place where we can be real and authentic and honest about what's going on for us. We know that is the place where we can have intentional conversations, where we can go deeper and unpack the things that we're processing. We know that groups are a great place where uh, I heard this fantastic phrase last week from someone, safe accountability. We all know how important accountability is to us because we need to follow through on things. And it's helpful for us to have some people who are saying, how are you going with that? You set that goal for yourself. We said you're going to try and work on that. How's that going? But it needs to be safe accountability. It needs to be someone who we know has got our best interests in mind, not someone who's nagging us or worse, someone who's judging us if we don't manage to do the things that we've said that we're going to do. Groups are the only place that we can have safe accountability. Groups are the only place that we can dig into what it really means to love each other because we know each other well enough to know what love actually looks like. Groups, at the end of the day, are the place where we have the chance to live out what Jesus' call is to us, to love each other the way that he loves us. And so if our primary focus is what we do in our groups, in those small churches that meet together at all sorts of different times, then when we come together on a Sunday, it shifts what our emphasis is. So the opportunity that we have on a Sunday is to be able to celebrate the great things that are happening across our network of small churches, where we have the opportunity to share stories, where we have the opportunity to do some shared resourcing, where we have some things that we can do that we're all working on together that help us to move forward together. But also an opportunity to be able to do some of the things that we kind of can't do if we were just individual small groups meeting on our own. There is something, a multiplying effect that happens when we join together. And so some of the resourcing that we can do is better because we do things together. So all of that is why gospel groups matter and are super, super important to us. And so today I want to let you know what groups we've got up and running and to talk about where we're going to head. So we are really, really pleased to say that we've got five groups that we're going to be launching with this year. So uh, we have a Monday night group that is at Caitlin's place that meets every week. We have a Tuesday night group that meets at our place every two weeks. We have two Wednesday night groups, so the Richmond Rockers... Yay, that's the most <laughs> underwhelming thing I have ever heard. The Richmond Rockers, it's a little bit better, but who meet here on a Wednesday night every week. Uh, and then uh, we have another group on Wednesday nights that meets fortnightly that Matt and Jemima are looking after. And then I'm really thrilled to say that there's also another group that we're going to launch this year called our Experimental Group. How exciting does that sound? That Katie and Jana are going to be a key contact people for. 
And this speaks to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, particularly in terms of what we're doing with families and how families can be a part of what we're doing with groups. We know we need to just try some stuff and experiment a little bit, and so uh, they're courageously enough going to wade into that experiment. And through Term 1, we just want to try a bunch of things. So what does it look like to meet one week from 5.30 to 7 with a shared meal and have the kids there and then do something all together? What does it look like to maybe do something for a Saturday brunch or a Sunday afternoon or all sorts of different configurations and just try some things out and see what we learn from that. That's the most helpful for us. And so if you're up for a bit of experimenting, that's going to be a great group uh, to be able to jump in with and to try some things out together. But we recognise that even then, there's probably not enough groups that we've currently got functioning. And so we would love to launch at least another one or two groups uh, in the next little while. And so if you're interested in launching a group uh, or even just having a conversation about what that might mean, I would love to talk to you more about it. But if you're not currently in a gospel group, I want to encourage you to think about what that looks like to just give it a go uh, through Term 1. And so we've got some sign-up sheets that are scattered all around the place. You can just jot your details down and I'll be in touch this week to find out what you're looking for and uh, what might be the best starting point for you. But I do want to put a very important caveat in place. Chemistry matters in groups. We all know that. And all of us, I think, are resistant to the idea of going and checking something out for the first time because what if it doesn't work out and does that become super awkward? No, it doesn't. We want to say very, very clearly that it's totally fine for you to go and visit a group and never go back to it. It's fine. (laughs) Everyone will be okay, I promise. So no one's going to chase you down and say, how could you not go back to our group? Do you not love us? It's totally fine. Chemistry is really, really important, and all of the groups have different dynamics to them, and this is also why we need to launch some other groups, because we need some other types of chemistry as well. And so please know that if you sign up, you're not signing up to like for the rest of your life. You're just saying, I'm interested in finding out a little bit more, even if it's hesitantly, and then we'll talk more. And then when you go and visit a group, you're just doing that hesitantly, and it's totally fine if it doesn't work out. We'll keep talking and walk forward together. I also wanted to just give you a quick snapshot of what we are going to try and do in a lot of our groups. Now, all of the groups can do whatever they want, so there's no expectation, there's no set curriculum that we have that people have to stick to. But in general, this is what most of our groups do most times that they get together. So we start with some check-ins, we spend some time just kind of checking in, how are things going, what's been happening, and generally food is involved in that, which is really great and really important. So some groups do have dinner, and sometimes it is just bring your own and eat, sometimes it is shared, Uh, other groups just have a whole bunch of snacks around, but we start with food because that helps us to be able to talk to each other. Then we have a reminder that we're there to connect with Jesus. And so groups do that in all sorts of different ways. So some groups take some time to pray. Some groups do some different types of spiritual practices. And we're going to provide some resourcing around that. Some groups just have a time of silence. Uh, One of the things that our group has been playing around with is that we have someone bring a song and they perform that. No, they don't. (laughs) They bring a song along and we listen to that song together and they talk about why it's meaningful for them. And it's an opportunity for us uh, to be able to connect with Jesus through something that's meaningful for one of the people who's part of our group. Then we normally open up scripture and we read the passage together, but far from this being an in-depth Bible study where we're trying to learn a whole bunch of stuff, we're always trying to think about application. And so our engaging with scripture can be as simple as saying, what stands out to you from the passage? So what jumps out? Are there words or phrases or things that jump out at you? And why do those things jump out at you, do you think? We have some conversation about that and what we're learning and what we see. 
But then, most important question is, what do you want to take away from that? So is there something that you want to do, something you want to put in practice, a conversation you want to have, something that you want to follow up from that? And then another question that I want us to stretch ourselves with a little bit more as we head into this year is to just ask the question, who could I share that with? Because so often we learn stuff, and again, individually, we keep that to ourselves. But it's really important for us to recognise we have people all around us who are not engaging with Scripture and don't necessarily see that the Bible's got anything relevant for them. And so being able to just pause and say, actually, I've got this neighbour, and we were talking about something, and this would actually be really helpful for them to hear. Or I've got this friend, and being able to have a conversation with them about what I'm learning, or at work, or wherever. So is there someone that we can share that with? Our engagement with Scripture doesn't actually need to be any more complicated than that. Just open up a passage, what jumps out, why does it jump out, what do you want to do with that, and who do you want to share that with? And then most groups take some time to be able to share and pray together and be able to share exactly what's going on in our lives and a bit deeper and being able to pray with each other. Many of our groups have decided that they're going to unpack the same passage that we're using on a Sunday as a part of what they're doing. Again, groups can do whatever they like, but the opportunity to be able to, so some of the groups this week will take that passage and be able to look at those verses again and be able to say the same thing, what jumps out, and obviously with all of the context of what we've talked about on a Sunday, that helps to inform some of what we're thinking about and processing as well. As I was thinking about that this week... I allowed myself to dream a little bit and to imagine what it would be like if the vast majority of us spent time doing this every week or every two weeks this year. And to think about where we would be in a couple of months' time, so by the time we get to Easter, by the time we get to the end of Term 1, what about by the time we get to the middle of the year? What about by the time we get to the end of the year? What would have shifted and changed for us as a church family, if we prioritise this, if we prioritise spending time with each other, if we have those circles that we know are so important to us, if we're taking time to unpack these things together, if we know that we've got some people that we can journey with, what would shift and change for us as a church? I want to encourage you not to see all of this as another obligation and something else that you feel guilty about not doing, but being able to say, what does it look like for us to imagine journeying together with some other people as we move into this year? Is it something that draws you in? Is there something enticing about that? Because the challenge for us is that if the core of Jesus' message and his major desire for us is to love each other the way that he does, if we're not made to follow Jesus on our own, but to follow Jesus in community as family, then we have to embrace the reality that we're going to have to pull back against the gravity of individualism that is all around us in our culture and is just baked into who we are and the way that we think. We are going to have to make choices to lean in, choices to be vulnerable, choices to be authentic, choices to open up with each other. And that can only happen as we trust each other because we've gotten to know each other. Following Jesus is not just about what we do about what we do collectively. And so as we move into this year, yes, we want to put Jesus first, as we talked about last week, but we also want to put Jesus first together. So I'm going to pray that as we move into this week and into this year, we can continue to feel excited and challenged about what that looks like. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you that you made us to be in a relationship. You made us to be in a relationship with you, but you made us to be in a relationship with each other as well. The pictures that you paint of what the church is supposed to be, the group of people who are apprenticed to you, is a group of people journeying together. And that's so much of what we then see the early church focusing on and talking about and the language that is used is around this idea of family and togetherness. We know that it's so easy for us to focus on ourselves, to focus on individualism. We know that it's rampant throughout our culture. And we pray that you would continue to challenge us about what it looks like to be counter-cultural as we follow you. And as we do that, we pray that you would help us to understand that we are made to be in these circles of relationships where we have people that we can journey with closely, people that we can journey with intimately, our next circle out where we can share life together. That we're not supposed to just move from one circle into another, just living at a surface level. So many of us are yearning and craving for something deeper. And we're grateful that we've got the opportunity here at Richmond to be able to explore what that looks like. And so as we move into this year and as we re-emphasise and focus on the importance of our gospel groups, we pray that you would reignite a passion in us for what it looks like to do life together, to be the best version of what we can be as a church, to see ourselves as a network of small churches that then get together and do the things that we can do collectively that we can't do on our own, but that we put our emphasis on the places where we know that you can do the most work in our lives. We thank you for those who have dedicated themselves and set themselves aside to make it a priority, to facilitate these groups, to host these groups. We pray that you would give them everything that they need to help to stoke those fires within the groups. But for all of us, you would help us to see what it looks like to find ourselves in them. And we pray, particularly as we experiment with one of our groups, but as we start some other experiments, that you would help us to find creative ways of being able to do this in the midst of our lives that are full of so many different things and full of so many complexities. We pray that you would help us to remember at the core of all of this, Jesus, is your command for us to love each other. That ultimately, you love us in this incredibly radical way that is so hard for us to get our heads around. We would love to be a community that demonstrates what that looks like. And when other people look at us, they say that is a group of people who love radically, who love differently, and that they can see your love stamped all over the way that we interact with each other and all over the ways that we interact with those that we engage with through the week. We recognise that we can't do any of this on our own, in our own strength. But we thank you that we don't have to. You empower us through your Holy Spirit to be able to live the way that you created us to live. So as we move out into the rest of today and into this week, continue to fill us with a sense of hope and inspiration about what it means to live as your people and your family. In your name we pray. Amen.